my show Dream Talk Radio is now uh, a video cast, and one of my first guests here is Kelly Bulkley, who has been a frequent, actually relatively frequent guest on uh, back on radio and podcast days. Um, Kelly is the author most recently of Children's Dreams. Understanding the most memorable dreams and nightmares of childhood, and uh, that's what we'll be talking about today. Kelly is a visiting professor at the uh, Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. He earned a doctorate in religion and psychological studies from the University of Chicago Divinity School, and a BA from Stanford, as well as many other honors. Uh, Kelly is the former president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. His most recent works are Dreaming in the Classroom, Practices, Methods, and resources in dream education, which he co-authored with Philip King and Bernard Welt. He's also written Dreaming in the World's Religions, A Comparative History, and American Dreamers, What Dreams Tell Us About the Political Psychology of Conservatives, Liberals, and Everyone Else, along with many other excellent books, I might add. Kelly, welcome. No, th thanks for having me. It's fun to be on the, the, the podcast version. Yeah, this is this is definitely as we were talking about it. Definitely less work on the on the back end for me after yeah. um, after recording it. Uh, you know, I have to say I love this book. I love children's dreams, and I was trying to figure out why that is. Why I mean, I've I've literally been recommending it to every single parent that I know, um, and it strikes me that. Part of what you've done here, you know, we have a lot of books um, about the abnormalities of dreams, mm -hmm. right? We have a lot of books that talk mm -hmm. about, or or just sort of the 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 edges of dreams, you know, lucid dreaming or uh, sleep paralysis or mm -hmm. you know trauma in dreams, and and nobody really talks about the normalcy of dreams. Mm -hmm. And it strikes me that childhood dreams really are about that, like what's in the person that is is budding and developing. Yeah, well, well, well. Thanks for for highlighting that aspect of it because it's something I I, I co-wrote the book with uh, my mother Patricia Bulkley, uh, and it was very much a kind of a family labor of love as we thought about dreams, the roles they played in our own family, and in uh, just the normal life, as you say, of uh, parents and children. And this partly comes from I mean, my interest from studying dreams in different cultures around the world and through history where you see the, the, the normalcy of dreaming in childhood, that, that, that children are brought up to uh, understand that, yeah, you're, you're a dreamer. You will have dreams during your life, and some of them may be very significant, and here are some things to think about and ways to approach them. We don't have so much of that in modern Western society. And so, yeah, this book is very much a, just like, here's, here's your child's dreaming life uh, and what you might expect, and how to um, uh, be a companion with them, particularly for the, the, the really memorable and intense and sometimes scary dreams that many children experience. Yeah, I think you've really done a great job. And, and one of my first questions for you is, now this is not the first book that you've written with your mother, Patricia Bulkley. How has that been to, um, to, to do, have a collaborative process with your own parent while talking about childhood dreams? Yeah, well, the, the first book we wrote, uh, we co-authored, was uh, called Dreaming Beyond Death, uh, based on my mother's uh, work as a hospice chaplain uh, and working with people who were in the final weeks and days and hours of life and, and the dreams and the visions they would have. So 
we worked out all sorts of <laughs> co-authoring issues with that book and sort of the the reflection, you know, in that case on our own mortality, on our, you know, ultimate sort of spiritual and religious beliefs about life and death and that which lies beyond. Um, and it was, you know, my mom and I get along really well. We share a lot of interests. Uh, and the second book was really uh, inspired in some ways by our both reading uh, Carl Jung's recently translated seminars on children's dreams, mm. which we both began reading and thought, wow, this is great, fascinating material about how Jung thought of children's dreams. And yet, there's no sort of accessibility of that information to sort of contemporary parents and, and people with, who work with children in various ways. So uh, it was, the, the book was born out of kind of this shared uh, excitement at what, again, these kind of basic normal ideas about children's dreaming and, and, and what children experience in their dreams, how that can help a, a, a broader audience and broader, uh, you know, culture of, of parenting. Yeah, I think that, I mean, maybe it was a labor of love, but I think it's going to be much appreciated because, you know, I have that book of Jung's lectures on children's dreams. Fascinating stuff, but then, but who's going to read the big thick book and it's all, you know, in this very, um, you know, it, it's, you need to have a background in psychology or, you know, yeah. um, developmental psych to really be able to get into it. So I, um, one thing, while we're on the topic of Jung, you pull out a quote of his that says, um, ch uh, childhood dreams are the richest jewel in the treasure house of the soul. Can you explain a bit about Jung's uh, perspective on childhood dreams? Yeah, well, that's, that, that quote, that phrase was kind of the, the, you know, the leitmotif of the whole book in some ways. The idea that certain dreams, and this is, uh, where Jung made the distinction between what he called big dreams and little dreams. And little dreams, so to speak, are just kind of average, everyday normal dreams that don't stay in memory, perhaps, for much longer than, than after awakening. Big dreams, Jung said, are unusually vivid and intense dreams that, that in childhood will be experienced and, and can be remembered for years and years later. And so... What Jung found in working with adults often or with children and talking about those powerful dreams, he found that they encapsulated um, deep truths and insights and, and, and ideas that we would consider in other contexts religious or metaphysical, but they're in children's dreams. And so what Jung, I think, highlighted and what we try to share in this book is Children's dreams are amazing resources of deep insight into life, into the cosmos, into one's own future development. And yet we treat them as sort of these nothings that, oh, it was just a dream. You know, oh, don't, don't, don't pay attention to that. Or particularly if it has some scary content, some, some frightening dimensions, parents are often very reluctant to give any space or attention to that. So that's, that's what we're really trying to highlight is that Children's dreams have this incredible value if we pay attention to them and, and, and create space in life for them to unfold and grow. And as you point out in your book, um, these dreams are things that stay with you until the end of life. I mean, you have that wonderful, um, the dream of the woman, I think she was five years old when she just yeah. dreamt this image of a blue snail. 
Right, right. And at 95, she right. still remembers that dream. Right. And I, I just love that, you know, that the possibility of being open and curious about the unexpected. Yeah, well, and this, this again is where other cultures, I think, recognize this potential in our dreams. And so, for example, Native American cultures, a young person who had a, a dream of a blue snail would be encouraged through their life to kind of have a blue snail in their mind, at least, as a, as a companion, as an ally, as a resource. Um, and so we're, we're kind of calling for a similar attention to powerful dreams, you know, and they take crazy forms. I mean, a blue snail, you know, that's, that's you know, before that case, I'd never heard of a dream of a blue snail before, but there you go. Uh, right. But it doesn't really matter what it is so much as the power and intensity it has for the dreamer, for the child as he or she uh, grows up and proceeds through life. And so I think these dreams can be best regarded, you know, without even necessarily interpreting them or analyzing them or figuring out what they mean, just accepting them and welcoming their powerful presence in our minds and our imaginations and our memories, as you say, that, that they can carry all the way through life. I, we, we believe there's, there's real value just in that, you know, above and beyond whatever we can discern about, you know, the, the meanings and how we interpret it. Right. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, you've raised kids, I've raised kids, and, and I guess you never stop raising kids. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing to me the power of a two-year-old dream or a three-year-old dream. I remember my daughter when she was two and a half, running out of her room, scared and shaking, but also yeah. kind of excited, and you know, jumped into my lap and like, "Monster, kill me! Monster, trying to eat me!" And yeah. you know, so trying to to um, to wrap my head around that dream and say something that didn't destroy my credibility with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, you know, in a, in, a, in a very real way, you know, dreams like that are kind of initiatory experiences. They're, they're opening a child's young mind to the possibility that, wow, there's more than just the here and now. There's realms of the imagination. And that's scary. That's exciting. That's, that's you know, confusing. It's, it's wonderful. It's awful. It's all these things. And so, yeah, with, with young children, I think the best thing parents can do in that circumstance, it sounds like what you just did, was, you know, just create a sense of like, yeah, this is okay. You know, I'm here. It's, you know, other people are dreamers too. You're a dreamer. We're all dreamers. Uh, dreams can have these strange, unpredictable dimensions, but let's see where it leads us, you know. And, and um, trying to find that balance between comforting and and not you know helping a child not feel overwhelmed you know completely shattered by that kind of experience but on the other hand not prematurely cut it off you know and 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 create a sense of fear like oh dreams oh you don't want to you know who knows what strange stuff will come out of that trying to find that balance that's that's i think has always been a parenting challenge you know right right up to today yeah, and we and we are just we naturally worry about our kids, like, and we think, oh no, you know, a monster. What does this mean? Yeah. You know, is there some strange yeah. abnormality brewing in my child's psyche? Um, yeah. But the the key is this. Actually, she had this dream. She came to me with this dream three days in a row, and each day I tried to say something like, "Oh, bad monster," or <laughs> you know, you know, do oh, here's your stuffy, or like th different comforting things. Finally, I was out of ideas and. 
I remembered our dream group uh, or when Jeremy Taylor came to our dream group and said, mm -hmm. um, you know, death in dreams is the surest sign of psycho spiritual uh -huh. transformation. Right. So I thought, well, maybe that's true even for a two and a half year old. So I yeah. kind of she came out and said that in the morning, and I just said. And then what happened? You know, right, after right. the monster ate you and, and tried to kill you, and she just kind of sat there for a moment, and then she said, "Monster brushed my hair." Uh, <laughs> it huh. was it was the most intense and powerful piece of dream witnessing, you know, huh. and and it was a real big teaching for me in terms of yeah. how you, as a parent, I think we we toe this really fine line, like you just said. We want to help our children grow and develop. We want to protect them from things, but really everything they have that they'll need in their adult life challenges is already there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're that little. It yeah, yeah. Really oh, and fascinating. And you, you, you kind of don't want to see that potentiality in your own toddler. It's, it's hard to watch, yeah. It's like sending them, you know, the first time on a bicycle without training wheels. Like, they're probably going to crash, you know, but that's, then the next time they'll do a little better. And, uh, but, but wow, that's fascinating. Uh, and so you just asked kind of the right question and then she took it from there. Yeah. And that was the end of the dream. I didn't hear about it the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, it is, um, something we, we talk a lot about in the book is that a lot of children's dreams, you know, are not, you know, sugar plums and fairies and sweetness and light. There's, there's a lot of, in fact, um, surprisingly uh, profound uh, grappling with death and evil and, and, and aggression and betrayal. Um, the whole drama of, of, of human life is there in kind of a, you know, a, you know, a, a seed form in these dreams. And so sometimes you know, we, we, we end the, our discussion of certain dreams not by saying, you know, and he lived happily ever after, you know, or she, she had a magical insight. It was more like, wow, as a child is growing up, to gain some of these deep existential insights, you know, it's hard, it it's, doesn't feel good necessarily, but it's also part of being human. And that's, I think, ultimately what these dreams are are doing is nurturing, you know, that kind of whole human integrity that, that, that leads to healthy growth and development. Mm -hmm. And some of the dream, I mean, I, I, I just love how you, you guys have, have uh, worked, about, uh, worked on dreams, you know, early childhood, middle childhood, sort of six, mm -hmm. seven, eight, and then yeah. later childhood into early adolescence. Um, and I think some readers would be surprised that there really are developmental differences that show up in dreams during those different stages. Um, yeah. One of the things that I, I wanted to pull out and, and uh, present to people is this idea when a dream is um, unresolved at the end. For instance, the dream mm -hmm. of the guy, I think he was late, later uh, childhood, dreamt about his, his toy train going under a fridge and he couldn't mm -hmm. move the fridge and he couldn't get his train mm -hmm. and he just was left at the end crying. And, yeah. you know, and you make the point that in unresolved dr dreams that end in an unresolved manner really point to archetypal situations. And I wondered if you could speak to that a bit. Yeah, well this is something that, that, that we um, learned very much from Jung's ideas about 
you know, kind of the way we, we look at the structure dreams and kind of the setting and the characters and how things start and how they develop. And, and he points out that where a dream ends, where, where the dreamer either wakes up or where the dream seems to just end, is really significant in terms of whether it kind of resolves what's the conflict or leaves it with waking consciousness. You kind of wake up and there's, okay, there you are. That's, that's the challenge. That's the, the tension. Um, and, and from, from our perspective, I mean, it, it might seem like, oh, there's a problem and we have to solve the problem. We have to get rid of the problem. And from, from our perspective, life is nothing but a series of challenges like this. And the, and what we try to do is work with the, the energy that comes from that tension. And so a dream like, like the one you mentioned, where I think it was a, I think it was a toy bus that, that, oh. that, that went under the refrigerator and his inability to move, this was a, I, I, I knew this, this guy uh, in his early 50s. So this is a dream from more than 40 years in his past. And he was, I would say, still, he was a sh rather short guy, um, had a, you know, some insecurities around that, but was very fit, was a martial arts type guy, and was kind of compensating for his you know, sense of diminished power by building up his power. And you could see that in his, in his early childhood dream, that he's struggling something he wants, but a bigger force is making it difficult, and he's trying to work with that reality. And there he was 40-plus years later in an adult, adaptive kind of, you know, he's leading a very creative life, um, but still working on that tension, that, 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 that opposition between his power and other powers that his dream revealed. So his dream didn't solve his problem, but... Some problems you can't solve. Some problems are just part of life, and the dream sort of, I think, gives some guidance about how to work with the energy that comes out of problems that are like that. Yeah, and I think the value, too, of those archetypal situations uh, mm -hmm. that we're presented with and that we're really living and embodying early yeah. on, that grappling with that throughout a lifetime is what develops the tensile strength yeah. of our souls or psyche, yeah. you however you want to coin the term. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, and and this this particular gentleman was it was a good uh, a good instance of that. Um, the you know, sort of extrapolating from that, mm -hmm. I find it really insightful to take this book and look uh, and take it as a, a sort of a blueprint for dream work in in general. And one of the things that I've really been um, focusing on and thinking a lot about over the last 10 or 12 years of, of doing dream work with adults and, and adolescents, but mostly adults, is the way that dream work as we've conceived it in sort of the grassroots dream work movement uh, mm -hmm. still largely relies on the self-help model of mm -hmm. fixing the problem or going toward mm -hmm. the the thing mm -hmm. that's broken mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and suggesting fixes mm -hmm. and what i like about this book is re and i and i wish we we would have a more of a conversation about this in general mm -hmm. uh, in the dreamworker community is how to how to normalize what we do around dreams and how to mm -hmm. just like a parent who has to step back from worrying about their kid <laughs> how we can really yeah. uh, you know underscore the fact that people really when they dream about these things they, they 
it is the tensile strength. It is the archetypal things that makes us mm. human, that makes us wise in the end. If you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. all yeah. <laughs> other things being equal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 a legacy in some ways of of the success of Freud and Jung that they developed their ideas about dreams out of a clinical model. You know, where they were working with people who were suffering various issues and. Uh, Dreams can be really valuable resources in that, but is that all that dreams are? are dreams only relevant in situations of pathology or, or suffering, um, extreme suffering, you know, uh, and, and certainly, but, but there's, there's, dreaming is part of life, part of just who and what we are. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad you, you find this sort of relevant to dream work in general, not just working with children's dreams, because that's, that's kind of the premise is that if you can get comfortable seeing how these patterns play out in children's dreams, you're 90% of the way there to seeing how they play out in adult dreams too. Like, like we could, you know, who knows, maybe we'll write another book that would follow up after this that could, would kind of show how, yeah, in fact, a lot of what you dream about in childhood is indeed the setting the stage for your adult dreaming. And, and the characters will change and the settings may change, but but a lot of the themes, a lot of the the challenges, a lot a lot of these problems, quote unquote, which yeah, maybe archetypal situations is a better way of putting it. Um, and sure, there's there's there's, I think, too much emphasis on kind of rushing from, you know, what what seems like a, a difficult place to a solution, you know, and that's driven by all sorts of things, you know, American culture and and you know short-term therapy driven by insurance and so on and so forth so there's a lot of pressure to kind of get things done and fixed and move on and and I think that what the kinds of dreams we're talking about you know what you call big dreams are calling for just a completely different way of looking at things a much more long-term a lifelong perspective looking at, at a dream that comes in early childhood as you know, as I've mentioned with Native Americans, as sort of your your companion for life, um, not you know something that's going to help you lose five pounds or deal with you know troubles at work or improve your relationships. No, it's like part of who you are as a human being and a, a embodied soul with this place in this time. So uh, we're definitely trying to stimulate a sense that by honoring early childhood dreams, highly memorable dreams, that's going to open, you know, open the door to a greater appreciation for dreaming generally. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> and, and I think it also points to something that I'm still thinking about. Um, I, I interviewed Ryan Hurd uh, last year on, on lucid dreaming, and uh, he made this point about the uh, lucid dreamers tending to sort of focus on the next dream they're going to have. Rather than really sort of um, staying with the dream that they've just had, and I think that you know, in some respects, talking about the childhood dreams that stay with us is a really good example of that. Like we, I think we we do tend to, and maybe it is the sort of acquisitive American kind of driven uh, culture, but there is something about that of really dwelling in the the power and all the energies and the dreams that we remember most deeply. Yeah, yeah. Well, that this is a the 
a way I often respond to people who get very excited about dreams, but then say, oh, but, you know, they'll kind of be sheepish and they'll say, but I barely remember any dreams. Or, you know, I try to keep a dream journal, but I never can write anything down. And then I get, and I, I'll often say, well, you know, dream recall kind of comes and goes, but why don't you start by writing down some of your earliest remembered dreams, say from childhood, from adolescence, you know, whatever, whatever you do remember, start with that. Don't, don't worry about, you know, the next dream. What, what, you know, how can I remember more and more dreams every night? That's, that's, um, you know, like the enthusiasm, but, uh, but there's, there's more, um, uh, uh, valuable ways of sort of entering into your own dream life than just focusing on, yeah, that, what, what's my next dream going to be like? And what is that? show of how I'm improving or getting better, right? That's, yeah. So do you have one piece of advice you would uh, give to uh, listeners, particularly parents, right now, and sort of to sum up the message of your book? Yeah, well, we, we, we open the book and in some ways close it with, with the idea of um, working with children and their dreams in kind of an open way and avoiding the, the, the typical comment of, well, it was just a dream. Right. Like trying to find a way to honor children's dreams, to um, encourage a, a kind of respect of, for them, a, 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 an excitement about them, while, as we've, we've been saying, balancing a sense of, of, of comfort and, and um, security as children explore and experience these, these radically different parts of themselves and, and, and of life. And so... We, we all basically wrote the book to help parents get beyond that, you know, oh, it's just a dream kind of attitude. Because they, you know, you might even feel that that's not quite right, but you don't know what else to say. And that's what we're... Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's really a, a rich resource that you've, that you've uh, you and your mother, Patricia, have contributed. The book, Thank again, you. is Children's Dreams, Understanding the Most Memorable Dreams and uh, Nightmares of Childhood. And really, look, it's readable. <laughs> you don't have to go through 400 pages of Jung, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's really it's so, simple and straightforward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and designed to last. You know, your toddler can chew on this, <laughs> and it will survive. <laughs> well, go. Kelly, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, and it's uh, it's always always fun to be part of your your show. It's a great one. Great. Well, good luck with the book. Thanks. All right.